Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. Awesome. Good morning. Oh, you guys, listen to that. You are wide awake after like four hours over the last 48 hours of sleep and you're still going. Well done. Yeah. Hang in there. You're just going to get through this morning, drive home, and then you can sleep till Tuesday. So you're, uh, you've, you've done well. Hey, listen, I want to tell you, so um, thank you so much, Ben and Joe, for inviting Casey and I to come and join this weekend for allowing me to be your speaker. I've enjoyed this so much. And I know that the, 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 the goal was to bring me in to maybe uh, speak into your lives, for God to use me to give you maybe some challenging messages. But the reality is, honestly, for Casey and I, we are leaving feeling like God has inspired spoken into our lives. You guys are fantastic. We just feel filled up having spent the last 48 hours with you, hearing the stories around the campfire, uh, getting to chat with some of you one-on-one, seeing the baptisms this morning. Honestly, all of this is just so life-giving to me to see what God is doing in your lives. And I'm so, so excited for the years to come, what he's going to continue to do in your lives on this college campus. So thank you so much uh, for inspiring me with your love and your passion for Jesus. You guys are brilliant. And um, as we leave today, I want to just ask one last question before we leave. And that question is, what is in your hand? What's in your hand? Not what's on your hand. I know there's one young lady who has a rather sparkly ring on her hand right now that wasn't there yesterday. Well done, sir. Well done, you uh, wonderful couple. She's not going to listen to a word I say this morning. She's just sat there just looking at it, glistening in the lights, just holding up in the spotlight, watching it dazzle. So, no, not what's on your hand, what's in your hand. You know, one of the greatest leaders we read about in the Bible is a man by the name of Moses. And uh, he was an incredible leader. He led over a million Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He took them to the very edge of the promised land. We read that he communed with God, spoke with God, led these people through the wilderness. He was the man who wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. Incredible leader, incredible legacy that he left for us to be inspired by. But you'd be amazed as you look back to his humble beginnings where this leader started. You see, there came a point in Moses' life where he was out in the middle of nowhere. He was a shepherd. He was actually kind of in hiding. And one day he's out tending the flocks. And there in front of him is this bush and it's on fire. But it's the weirdest thing because it's a strange kind of fire because this fire is just continually burning. It's not like the one last night that as the night went on kind of died down. This fire just continues to burn and burn. And the bush itself wasn't being consumed. So as he kind of approaches it to figure out what's going on, he discovers that God is in the fire. God is about to speak to him and listen to what the Lord said to him. He said in Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 7, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Right now, the Israelites, they're living in slavery in Egypt. God says, I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. So now go, for I am sending you 
You, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Moses? The fire, God speaking to him. He knows now that the Israelites can be uh, rescued. And he says, Moses, you are the man. I mean, you've got to think Moses is like, oh yeah, (laughs) you picked well, God. (laughs) I've been ready for this. This is my origin story. This is where it all begins. It's going to get really good now. Let's see if that was Moses' response. Verse 11, Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Israel? I can't do that, God. Pick someone else. You've obviously got it wrong here. I cannot do this. But God reassures him in verse 13. and he, He reassures him. He tells him not to worry. But in verse 13, Moses continues on. God, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? Moses doesn't even understand the authority that he has, that that he hasn't got to do this in his own strength. He can go with the strength of God. But even that, he's not confident in. Moses doubted his ability, and he had doubted the authority that he had in God to do this. Now, maybe some of you here this morning, uh, the retreat's coming to an end. It's just been a fantastic weekend. There have been moments during the worship, during the conversations, during the campfire, wherever it was, that you just felt God was stirring your heart. And you felt like, man, I, I want to go back different. I feel like God's done something in me this weekend. I feel like I'm going to go back a different person. I've got a new passion and a new vision. And now as we're getting close to the time of leaving, you're just starting to question it a little bit. You're like, maybe I didn't really hear God. Maybe it wasn't really what he was saying. Maybe after hearing some of the things that myself or Ben have been talking about, you were challenged, but now you're starting to think, but what if God, what if that doesn't work? And you can kind of relate to Moses and that that self-doubt that he had. And it's crazy. God continues to reassure Moses, continues to say, Moses, I've got it. I've got you. You are going to be able to do this. And still in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? I don't know about you, but I kind of like reading this in the Bible sometimes because I'm like, okay, this makes me feel a little bit more normal because I go through these things at times. I question whether I can do what God's called me to do. And here's Moses, one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, going through exactly the same doubt and fear that I sometimes go through myself. So God's like, okay, Moses. It's time to show you something here. It's time to teach you a lesson here. And God says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? What's in your hand this morning? God asked Moses, what is that in your hand? I think God was wanting to make a point here of, of what it was that Moses had in his hand because Moses answers a shepherd's staff. This is what Moses, this is all Moses had was a shepherd's staff. A shepherd's staff, a stick that was used to drive away predators to guide the sheep. But it was the thing that defined Moses. That's who he was. Anytime he walked around with this stick, this told people who Moses was. Moses was a shepherd. And I wonder what that was like for Moses. I wonder if there were times when he was walking around his community and there were wealthy landowners... There were people of importance around them. And here he is, and, and, and this stick he's carrying just says, hey, all this guy is, is a shepherd. 
doesn't matter how he carries himself, how important he makes himself feel. Anyone who saw that stick knew that he was just a shepherd. In those days, shepherds were pretty low down as far as status goes. So it's no surprise that when God said to Moses, hey, you're the one who is going to rescue my people from Egypt, Moses took a look at that stick and said, but God, I'm just a shepherd. Sometimes I think we look at what's in our hands, our abilities, our story, what we've got, what God's given us. And, and maybe sometimes we even look around at others and think, well, they've got this and they can sing and they can do this and their story's so much better and, and all I've got is this. And we kind of relate to Moses a little bit because we feel like what we have to offer isn't much at all. But I think God cares a lot about what's in your hand. He cared about what was in Moses' hand. He cares this morning about your skills, your talents, your voice, your story. Man, I loved both the stories last night. Caleb, and I'm sorry, I've forgotten the young lady's name, but your two stories last night were fantastic. But one of my favorite things was when Ben came up after and said, hey, hey, Caleb, you said your story was rather uninteresting. I disagree. Your story is amazing, and every one of your stories is amazing. Even if you think it's fairly average. I loved the two stories this morning of our friends who got baptized. We have these stories, and you may think your story is fairly ordinary, but in God's hands, you have an incredible story because you never know when what you have in your hand is exactly what God needs to use. You never know. You never know that what God's given you, your story, your talent, your ability, your, your plans for your future, you never know when that might be the very thing that God needs to use. So we've got to stop looking at our, our story, our situation, what's in our hands, and thinking, well, God couldn't use me. I've got a picture here on the screen of a man. His name is Jan Demscher. Jan Demscher. He's a window cleaner. So Jan worked in uh, a large city, and he worked in one of the big high-rise buildings, cleaning the windows on the inside. So every morning he would arrive at work, he'd get on the elevator, and he'd work his way up that building and just going from office to office, cleaning the inside windows. He was an immigrant who moved here from Europe, and this was the best job he could get. And I have to imagine that there were many mornings where Jan stepped into the elevator of this very important building. Surrounded by incredibly powerful men and women, businessmen, successful people. Maybe looking around as he held his squeegee in his bucket at some of these people around him who were wearing beautiful suits, expensive watches. Maybe a watch that, that cost more than this guy would earn in a month, maybe a year. I wonder whether there were times where he thought, man, this is all I've got. He compared himself to others. But there was a day where what he had was the most important thing. You see, there was this day that they got onto the elevator together that morning. There were five other people in the elevator, these businessmen surrounding him. It started to work its way up through the building, and suddenly it came to a jerk, and it stopped. They hung out there for a bit, thinking maybe it's broken, maybe someone will come and repair it here soon. But then soon, the folks in the elevator, they started to get cell phone calls from their spouses and their friends saying, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Do you not hear what's happened? A plane just hit the World Trade Center Towers. And Jan and the five people in the elevator with him were in one of the elevators in the North Tower on the morning of September the 11th. So now they realize, okay, we need to get out of here quick. So they try to open the doors, but none of them can get the doors open. So Jan steps forward, he goes, hey, let's use my squeegee. 
he jams it between the doors and all of them, they're able to just use a leverage to get it open enough to get the things in. They pull it open and they're so happy that they get it open, but what they don't realize is they're in ex they are in an express elevator. It doesn't stop for the first 20 or 30 floors, so when they pull it open, it's just wall in front of them, just drywall. Their hearts sink. But again, Jan says, let's, let's use this squeegee. This was all he had in his hands. For, for years, this had defined him as feeling like he was not up for the task. But suddenly today, he had what was needed. It's a true story. The, they took it in turns for about 10, 15 minutes just to hack away at this drywall. And after a while, they finally were able to create a big enough hole. And they, came, they could see through. They were in the restroom, a women's restroom, underneath one of the sinks. All five of them and Jan, they climbed through that hole, out into the restroom, out to the stairs, got down, and all of them got to safety. If you went to the Smithsonian Museum today, you'd actually get to see Jan's squeegee handle. <laughs> it's on display in the Smithsonian, used by window washer Jan Deschmer to hack through drywall between floors, freeing himself and five others from a North Tower elevator. You know, sometimes, like Moses, we think, well, what could I do? All I have is this. But on that day, in that elevator, that was exactly what was needed to save the lives. These guys had expensive watches, powerful people, and nothing they had could rescue them that day. But this guy had something in his hand that saved them. Every one of you here this morning has something in your hand that God can use. Every one of you without fail. And if we read on, we discover what God did with what Moses had in his hands. We read on in Exodus that he used it to bring about these ten plagues that led to the people being um, freed from, Israel, from Egypt. We know that he held it, this staff above the waters of the Red Sea, and it parted for all of Israel to cross. In fact, throughout the remainder of Moses' life, we hear time and time again about how Moses and his staff were used by God in so many different ways. What he thought defined him as somebody not being able to be used by God actually turned out to become kind of this, this centerpiece of what God used as part of his ministry to lead the Israelites through the wilderness. And here's the thing I love the most about this story. If we go back to the burning bush, he's presented God with this, this staff. This is all he has. And I think it's the most important thing we all need to know about what he did with that staff. When God asked him, in verse 3, he said, now throw it down on the ground. So Moses threw down the staff. And I think this is pretty significant. Moses is still doubting himself. He's saying, God, all I've got is this staff. And God says, well, here, throw it down on the ground. I think it's kind of an illustration for us that um, this staff represented who Moses was, his livelihood, his identity, his talents, his skills, his story. And God said, I want you to throw it down. Because we all have something in our hands here this morning. It's a gift, a talent. It could be the plan for our lives, our story. And I believe God is wanting to say to us this morning, will you throw it down? This weekend, will you throw it down? You know, I've heard this word a lot throughout this weekend coming from the leaders, from Ben and from Joe, this word surrender. Are you willing to surrender to God? Are you willing to surrender what you have in your life? Are you willing to take what's in your hand and say, God, I'm willing to throw this down, to surrender it to you. You might say, but I don't want to give it up. I, I don't want to give it up. I want to hold on to this. But you're not giving it up. You're surrendering it. 
Those are two very different things. You're saying, God, I don't want to be the person holding on to this. I want, I want it to be in your hands. I want you to take control of this, this wonderful part of my life. And listen to what happened to Moses when he threw down his staff. Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. I think I would have done as well. <laughs> then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. At that moment, the object that Moses had in his hands became miraculous. When he picked it up again, it went back to being a staff, but it would never be the same again. When he threw it down, God transformed it. And when he picked it back up, it was never the same again. It was nothing special until he surrendered it to God. That's how I want to close out this retreat this weekend. We've talked about my church back in Washington, the, the vision we have to connect our community to Christ. I hope and pray that there were some of you who came to this retreat who have yet to make that decision to follow Jesus, and you'll leave different. You'll leave changed because you've made that decision to follow Jesus. That's our number one goal at Connect, is to help to connect people to Christ. We also desire people to connect with one another at our church, and I think that's happened this weekend. I was talking to your leaders. I love that the groups are picked randomly, that you got assigned with pinks or greens or reds or whatever team you're on, and, and maybe you got to make some new people. You connected with some people that are going to become lifelong friends of yours. And we talked about the idea that the importance of connecting our community. For me, it's Washington, Illinois. For you, it's the city that you live on called ISU Campus. Wesley and Heartland, wherever you guys are, that's your city that God has called you to reach people in. But it's going to take us looking at what's in our hands and saying, God, I, I came here this weekend thinking I didn't have much to offer. But I'm going to surrender it to you anyway, because when I leave, I want you to use me. Because there is so much at stake. There is so much at stake. We're going to pray in just a moment, and we're going to surrender what we have to God. But just one last thought here. If you'll leave this retreat with a fresh commitment to do all that you can for God, it's not just going to make a difference in your life. I want you to leave realizing the uh, significance of who you are and the impact it can have on others. Back in 2012, the Olympics were in London, and uh, Casey and I and my, my family, we got to travel back there and stay with my parents. We actually got to go to some of the events. It was just a fantastic time. I didn't get to see this particular event live, but when I watched it a few days later and saw the highlights of this race, something really jumped out at me. So just check out this race real quick, and I'll tell you what it was. One of the highlights of the Olympic Games, the final of the men's 18 meters. The hot favorite David Rubicic came in only to smash his own world record. Rubicic had been only once in more than two years. Two Kenyans in the field, the USA also looked two winners. A race packed with winning talent. Rubicic and Ron Corlatz were run from the front, and that's what happened. His target to complete the first lap in 50 seconds, and he was on schedule. Twice this summer he'd gone close to 
So all eyes were on Rudisha. He breaks the world record. It's an incredible race. But I wonder if you caught what the commentator said right as he was crossing the finish line. He said, this race was so fast, Rudisha ran so fast that all eight competitors set records. Check out the, uh, the chart here. We've got one more picture. So Rudisha, WR, world record. Second place, national record. He was the fastest runner in his country. Personal best, personal best, personal best, national records, seasonal best. Andrew Asagi, my boy from England, he came in last, and he still ran the fastest he's ever run in his life. It was a personal best. Staff and interns, the pace at which you run will pull the students along behind you. Seniors, when you leave this retreat and you make that commitment to, to surrender yourself to God and say, I'm going to give the best I've got, it will raise the level of the speed at which the juniors and the sophomores and the freshmen behind you will run. Juniors, you are leading the way as well. You're bringing the sophomores and the freshmen. Sophomores, you are challenging the freshmen. Freshmen, the pace at which you run this year will set the bar for the incoming freshmen next year into encounter for what they will expect as they arrive in this ministry because you have set the bar so high. You've run at such a pace. The guy who won that race, he ran so fast that everyone else ran the best they'd ever run in their lives. That's what we can do when we leave. So we're going to pray right now. I want you to, to just bow your heads here before we sing a couple more songs here. And if you feel comfortable doing this, I'd love for you to join me in doing this. And we're going to just open up our hands in front of us in an act of surrender. We're going to imagine what's in our hands. Maybe it's our story. Maybe it's the well-laid-out plan we would got for our lives. Maybe it's a gift or a talent that we're, we're very proud of and... We're not going to throw it away, but we are going to lay it down. We're going to say, God, I don't want to hold on to this. I want this to be yours. Because in my hands, Lord, I'm not sure that I can use this the best, but in your hands, it becomes, it goes from a staff to a snake. It's miraculous. God, take what I have. Because if I'm honest, Lord, I've kind of looked at my, my staff and thought, well, that's not much. I couldn't use that, but like that squeegee, there's a point where this may be the very thing that you need to reach someone else, to reach someone who doesn't know you, to inspire a friend of mine who's going through a difficult time. Help us to run fast when we leave this weekend, to set that pace. And Lord, we just, with our hands open this morning, we surrender to you, Lord. Whatever's in our hand, we surrender, Lord. We say, take this and use this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.